Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer. I'm Coel. And I'm Kenna. okay <laughs> yeah are you struggling i'm not struggling okay. i'm okay how do i sound you sound great okay good yeah okay it's we've a- had some <laughs> oh well i'm sure if you've been here from the beginning you know that we always have software problems did i <laughs> yeah. say software software damn i can't hear myself now you're right <laughs> <laughs> we have software problems all the time and dated for a class that i'm taking this semester and somehow it fucked up our recording software mm. and every time we talked it was like static and then we listened back and we saw <laughs> like robots it's not like monsters <laughs> it's like rover <laughs> sound that bad <laughs> and so for the life of us we couldn't figure it out and so now we're using Quell's laptop to record mm-hmm. but there's this lag and so i can hear myself like an echo almost as i'm talking yeah. so if i fuck up it's because of that and you're not even wearing a headset because you were like i can't do this i can't yeah I, it was like hearing myself talk to myself while I'm trying to talk. That's, and it was yeah. it was messing up my words. That's exactly how it sounds, but I just am such a control freak. I cannot not listen to it as it's happening because yeah. I'm going to be like, oh my god, I sound weird. Yeah. So, anyway. <sighs> that's what's going on with us. Yeah. Do you want to give everyone our handles? Sure. You can check us out on any social media platform at Diagnosing a Killer other than X, which is formerly Twitter, Diagnosis, you can check us out on Patreon. We have a Patreon exclusive coming out on the 29th. You get that bonus episode every month on the 29th. Very excited about that one. Yeah. January 29th. Special day. Special day. It's and the day. Email us. Send us your case recommendations. Mm. I have a whole list going about case recommendations. So let us know what you want to hear, especially mental breakdown wise, because we need some more info about that or a little more advice i guess yeah i don't know we don't need advice but we want advice we want want your input yeah we like listening to y'all as well definitely if you guys want to support us monetarily you can do so through cash app uh, patreon you can also do a one-time custom donation if you'd like we also have venmo what did i say cash app paypal all the good stuff all all the all the platforms mostly Yeah, yeah definitely and I know it's your case, and I'm excited to hear who you're doing, but I do want to talk about a couple of DMs that we got on Instagram lately. So one of them is from a listener named Amanda. She says, so obsessed. Thanks for the ad. I do need to sleep, though. Seriously. <laughs> love you, ladies. I love the psychology aspect of all the episodes. Can I be your best friend? Hell yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then we got another one from a Suzanne. She commented on our story post that asked how often or what time of day people listen to. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'd listen all day, every day if I could. Love you. Aww. We love you love both. You. And thanks for reaching out. We always love to hear from people that listen to us because we still have imposter syndrome. <laughs> and we think that people don't listen to us. So, so true. thank you. If you guys didn't check out our Merchy Merch forums yet, check those out. We just updated those to have slim cans, our first slim can koozie. Yes. So I'm excited. I'm using one right now. Same. (laughs) You ready? Yes. Today, we are going to talk about Ezra McCandless. Okay. Do you know who Ezra McCandless is? I feel like I've heard the name before, but I'm definitely going to need a refresher. I'm going to tell you. Okay. Content warning. This episode describes details of emotional and mental abuse, termination of pregnancy, depression, sexual assault, 
rape allegations, self-harm, and struggles with identity. If this episode is not for you, we encourage you to check out another one of our episodes. Remember that your mental health is important to us, and we love you. Love, love you. you. Bye. Bye. Whew, doozy. Yeah, it's a lot. And what's crazy is that this story is not even that long. Okay. Mm. Let's hear it. Ezra McCandless was born Monica J. on October 6, 2007, to her mother, Rosalena Gunnelson, who was just 14 years old at the time of Monica's birth. Oh, wow. Monica would never come to know who her biological father was. She was born in Stanley, Wisconsin, which is only a population of about... 3,600, mm-hmm. and it's about an hour and a half away from any major city. The nearest city is actually Minneapolis, Minnesota, and that's how small it is. It's like, what did I say? It was like an hour and a half, yeah. Dang, we're going to be there in a couple years, by the way. Minnesota? Yes. Minnesota. Minneapolis. Isn't that, is there the Dahmer Museum there? No, yes. Or is that Milwaukee? No, it's Milwaukee. Yeah, we come, every we time. always get them confused. <laughs> every time. Remember, because we were like, Milwaukee and Memphis. <laughs> Milwaukee and Memphis. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> I love that song. So Monica and her mother would be alone together until Monica was about four, when a man that her mother was dating named Joe Shane Carlin Married Rosalina and adopted Monica. Joe Shane. Joe Shane. It's like two names it's squished together. It's not even hyphenated. It's J-O-S-H-A-N-E. It's not even got, not even hyphenated, not even apostrophe, nothing. Joe hmm. Shane. Interesting, right? They called yeah. him, they called him Joe. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> hey, Joe Shane. <laughs> Monica J was then Monica Carlin after he adopted Monica. Monica grew up calling Joe Shane her father, and it was the only father that she would ever know her whole life. Joe Shane tried to be a supportive father. However, Monica recalls him being very nitpicky and unpredictable in his behavior. Hmm. She described her parents as almost like having two tornadoes in one household. Oh my gosh, that's awful. Well, I mean, Monica's mom is so young too, you know? Mother worked a lot of hours and would often be left to be disciplined by Joe Shane. Although her mother was very adamant that Joe Shane not disciplined Monica, like, at all. Oftentimes, Mm -hmm. it led to quite a few arguments between the two. Monica recalled her father calling her stupid and slow at one point in her life. She was mostly emotionally abused, although the threat of Joe Shane throwing something was enough to make Monica shut down when the family would argue. Oh my god. And it's just the three of them. Yeah, that's awful. Monica felt at a young age that she was able to dissociate from reality, giving her ex- given her exposure to this hostile environment growing up. By the age of 12, her parents would divorce, and the three would separate. Monica rarely seeing Joe Shane throughout her childhood, mm. although they would keep in touch every once in a while. So I know I said just 12, but back when Monica was five and all throughout her young life, she loved art. She was very interested in art. Monica considered herself to be otherworldly, even though she had never traveled and she was also very young. She acted older than she was and considered herself to be like a book smart reader and very cultured. Mm. She claimed that her favorite book was written by Christopher McCandless, Into the Wild, when in fact Christopher McCandless did not write this book, he was simply the subject of it, and it was written by John Krakauer. Hmm. Our apologies. As we said, we're using new recording software, <laughs> and we just realized that it was cutting our voices so bluntly at the beginning of each new like time we started recording, so that's why you're hearing all these weird sound cuts. We figured it out, hopefully, and we're going to try not to let it happen again for the rest of the episode. (laughs) Back to the episode. 
A full-length feature film was released in 2007, which was directed by Sean Penn, and it starred Emile Hirsch, whose portrayal of McCandless brought countless award nominations. Hmm. Monica was inspired by Chris McCandless' nomadic lifestyle and his minimalist ideolations. Through high school, Monica began to explore her gender identity. Her time throughout high school, she would describe herself as more masculine representing, and therefore began to use he-him pronouns. On vacation, she found the name Ezra, which was more neutral, somewhere along the trip, and the trip was one to remember, and she kind of wanted to hang on to that name as as a representation of that trip. Mm -hmm. Sometime after this vacation, Monica came to her parents to ask for a name change, which they agreed in order to provide Ezra with more gender-affirming care. This included changing her last name, and she was now Ezra McCandless. And I would like to say that throughout her entire the duration of her entire trial, she is referred to as she. Um, she did not have her gender changed or anything like that. So um, for the sake of this podcast, I just want to make sure that I'm not dead naming her completely because later on she also refers to herself as Monica and she her pronouns as well. Ezra continued to practice her art all throughout high school, and this is essentially all she focused on. So when she graduated in college, she worked for a professor of the arts and was able to hang some of her own art in a gallery as well. But soon, Ezra longed to leave her home and in pursuit of a living, more independent lifestyle, perhaps in parallel to Chris McCandless's life. Ezra made the decision to drop out of college and travel to Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which has a population of nearly 70,000, which was way more than Ezra was used to. Yeah, giant change. Yeah. Although Eau Claire is still considered small by most citygoers, Ezra found that the college-age community was enough to support her in her need of being accepted and fulfilled socially, and she would regularly make trips to Eau Claire just to get away. She was this cool, kind of gender-fluid individual who dressed differently and was seemingly of high mind. Most people thought Ezra was older than just 19 years old, as she seemed to be an intellectual and a well-rounded person. Okay. After attending a music festival in early July, this would be 2017, Ezra was perched on a bench outside of a local coffee shop down Water Street in Eau Claire called Racy Delanes, affectionately called Racy's by their diverse group of regulars. We have a Water Street, but it's... A restaurant in Corpus. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's really good. Their oysters are so good. (laughs) This is just Water Street. (laughs) The shop was closed at the time that Ezra arrived. However, she decided to sit outside in order to use the Wi-Fi. And she didn't have a cell phone at this point. She used an old iPod to keep... Oh, swag. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) She's so different. (laughs) So she used this iPod to communicate with friends or family. That was me, though. Like, I remember if my phone was, like, broken or something when I was in high school, I would have to use an iPod to, like... Because you can text on them as long as you have Wi-Fi. Right. Yeah, she... I think she was even able to, like, maintain an Instagram. And she did have a phone, but for whatever reason, she didn't, like, have an account or something or didn't pay... Maybe it was a pay-as-you-go or something. Yeah, and, like, didn't pay for it. A man by the name of Jason Mangle passed by, letting out a big sigh. 34-year-old Jason Mangle was serving in the Army National Guard for the last seven years. He worked a little out of town and would regularly ride his bike to work. On his way back into town that night, he passed by Racy's in hopes that he could make it in time for a cup of coffee before close. However, on his way into town, he unfortunately got a flat tire. 
Jason would just barely make it in time for Alex Woodworth, the night shift employee at Racy's, to see him pull up. And instead of tossing out the coffee for the night, Alex decided to hand Jason a cup of coffee for his troubles. Oh, that was sweet. Then he locked the door behind him. Ezra was still sitting on the bench, and she acknowledged Jason, asking why the long face, and the two began to talk. Time flew as the two got to know each other, and eventually they would exchange information that night. Excuse me. Jason believed that at the time Ezra was much older than 19. The two would share a 13-year age gap. Oh, yikes. And given that Ezra was only in town for one night due to the festival, Jason just felt that the situation lended, lended the idea that Ezra was just older because she just drove in for this festival and yeah. she's hanging out on a bench by herself by outside of a coffee shop. And Super... Unfortunately, like some of our listeners can't relate, but as a young girl growing up and a young woman growing up, independence is mistaken as maturity, like yeah. when you're in your late teens. That's you know? so true. It's like, yeah, I can go to the, a restaurant and sit down by myself, and now all of a sudden I'm 30 when yeah. I was really like 20, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so we absolutely thought that Ezra was older, and everybody else had noticed it too, because she talked about you know chris mccandless and you know she's got this interesting name and yeah and she's gender fluid and yeah Mm -hmm. so remember that ezra is relatively new to the area and the racy's crowd was kind of a tight-knit group so if anyone had known ezra this is another reason why jason was like oh she must be older because she like drives through here essentially if anyone knew ezra they probably would have said this is ezra she's part of the group now you know yeah so over the course of a week, however, the two would talk nonstop, and they quickly became boyfriend and girlfriend in just a week or so. Ezra would integrate herself into the Racy's crowd, and then Racy's was kind of connected to this place called the Nucleus, which served food. The joint was down the street, and other establishments that were along Water Street were kind of the hub of this core group of regulars. So it's like Sixth Street without all the nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I just found myself literally being like, oh, this Jason guy must be bad news. I was like, wait a second. I I forgot because I've been listening to so many different podcasts lately. Mm -hmm. I just forget that like ours gives it away in the title. (laughs) For the purpose. This guy. This Jason guy is probably the killer. (laughs) He's such a jerk. (laughs) Within a month of dating, Ezra began to tell Jason of her housing issues with her family and she was still kind of, like, going back and forth between her mother's and her father's and Stanley. She wished to go back to school, but wasn't stable enough at the time to do so. She definitely didn't want to go back to school in Stanley. Mm-hmm. This struck at the heart of Jason, who spoke with his roommate, and the two came up with an agreement that Ezra would stay with them, provided that she begins to work and split rent three ways. Makes sense. I mean, that's fair. His roommate's name is also Alex, but this is Alex Zink. It's a different Alex than okay. the guy that works at Racy's. So Ezra packed up her 2003 Chevy Impala and headed to Eau Claire with all of her things. She's so independent. I know, <laughs> isn't she? She just packs up and leaves. She it's Ezra. She She's nomadic. Older. <laughs> she must be older. <laughs> Jason would see that Ezra was an amazing artist, and it became very important to Jason that Ezra pursue her art and further her education in school with art. Oh. So Jason and his roommate Alex oh made further... Sorry, your computer just made a noise and it scared the shit <laughs> out of me because I'm wearing headphones and you're not. Please continue. <laughs> you're right. I haven't heard that noise before. It's just it was so like, ding. Yeah. That's funny. Go ahead. Jason and his roommate Alex made further adjustments when Ezra wasn't able to make rent with her part-time job at a fabric store. 
The two, especially Jason, still believed that eventually Ezra would pick herself up and be successful in art. Yeah. So the roommates also agreed with Jason that Ezra would just help out with whatever she could, whether it be rent or utilities, groceries, something. Yeah, he's like, don't worry, she's not a freeloading asshole or anything. <laughs> she's mature. <laughs> she's older. <laughs> she's older. <laughs> That's awful. Although Ezra couldn't help necessarily with rent or utilities, it seemed that around Christmas time, Ezra spared no expense when it came to gifts. Here's this diamond ring I brought you. <laughs> I bought you. I bought you this diamond ring. Can't pay I rent. I have these gifts for you, even though I don't pay rent. <laughs> even though I am broke. There you go. You got <laughs> Jason and his roommate Alex began to eventually feel the financial strain of having an extra person in the house. Yeah. But through all of this, the relationship continued, and Jason would eventually meet Ezra's family. So this became serious. It's not yeah. just like, you can just stay with me. He'd, I he'd think he had a really big heart when it came to Ezra. On August 8th, 2007, Ezra formally met Racy's night shift barista, Alex Woodworth, the man that had okay. given Jason coffee that one night. This was down at a place called The Joint, which was down the street from Racy's. There is where she saw Alex Woodworth journaling, sitting alone. Alex Woodworth was born January 1st, 1994. He is the New Year's baby. The 24-year-old had recently graduated with a bachelor's in philosophy and biology and was excited to continue his education in philosophy by pursuing his master's at the University of Oregon. Oh, wow. Really smart dude. Yeah. Ezra recalls asking Alex how he could possibly concentrate in such a busy establishment as The Joint. It was a bar that was filled with young people, pinball machines, and a vintage jukebox. Hmm. Alex shared his writings with Ezra, and she was immediately impressed. Alex at the time had been writing down his thoughts on cannibalism. Not the act specifically, but he used this as a metaphor, like, philosophically. It's like to-do list. Cannibalism. <laughs> Step one. Cannibalize someone. Cannibalize. <laughs> <laughs> Ezra found this topic exciting, as it was a gritty, random type of subject, and it's kind of the stuff that hip young kids would be into. I mean, I'm kind of into, like, learning about the philosophy behind it. That'd mm -hmm. be dope. You know, I'd be like, hell yeah, I'll read this. Yeah, he was he was mostly talking about the consumption of someone and what it means to, like, be consumed by someone, but metaphorically, not like... <laughs> Not, he's not Sorry. Dahmer. It's immediately in my mind. I go, okay, Dahmer. Okay, Dahmer. <sighs> Got some popsicles in my basement. Oh, no. That's, that's Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Got some rat meat in my some, freezer. Got some popsicles in my basement. Got some popsicles in my basement. Herbert the pervert. <laughs> okay. So the two talked for about an hour, Ezra and Alex, Discussing various topics, but at some point, Jason arrived at the joint in an effort to locate Ezra. He was looking at Ezra, looking for Ezra at Racy's or, yeah, just around the area. He noticed that his partner and Alex were talking, and the two looked a little too comfortable, which made Jason feel uncomfortable. Yeah. In fact, oftentimes he felt suspicious of Ezra and Alex's relationship. Hmm. Jason approached Ezra and Alex. I mean, eventually he would feel that way. Yeah. Jason appro approached Ezra and Alex and interrupted the two, and Ezra would later say that she felt that the conversation was going well, and it did feel somewhat disrespectful that Jason interrupted the conversation seemingly out of jealousy. Okay. She was like, I wasn't done with my conversation, and he interrupted on purpose so that 
he could disrupt whatever we were talking about. I've been on both sides of that, I think, where I'm like, I'm having, like, a really good conversation about a very innocent topic, but mm. I'm just really excited about it. Like, I want to learn more and I want to share more, you mm. know? And then someone's come up to me and been like, hey, what the fuck? But yeah. I've also been the person that's like, hey, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, it looks like you're having too much fun. You're having a little too much fun. Yeah. yeah. We, we mature. We grow. <laughs> but Ezra, Ezra's so mature. She's so grown up. Right. So Ezra would brush this off with Jason and would continue spending the evening talking to Alex. The two would exchange information. And at the time, the two would remain friends. Late September 2017... Ezra would come to realize that she was pregnant. Oh, no. She bought a pregnancy test that confirmed her suspicions. And on October 6th, Ezra's 20th birthday, she and Jason would travel to Minneapolis and have an abortion. Oh, man. <sighs> but it wasn't his kid, though, so... It was. Oh. Sorry, that was ugly. <laughs> I thought... I, well, I was like, plot twist, it's Alex's, you know what I mean? After terminating the pregnancy, Ezra would say, quote, I felt very empty after... It hurt emotionally and physically, and it made me feel alone and very empty, end quote. Oh, God, I can't even imagine. Ezra did not allow Jason to be in the room while she had her procedure. Mm. Although Jason paid for the procedure, he insisted that he did not coerce Ezra into having an abortion and that he believed that a woman should have the right to make that own decision, her own mm. decision. So he was going to just be in a supportive role wherever he could. Yeah. Ezra said that the reason that she felt that she needed to terminate the pregnancy was that Jason had expressed on multiple occasions that he did not wish or care for children. Oh, wow. Either way, after the termination, Ezra and Jason became very distant. Jason began sleeping on the couch, and they very rarely shared any physical intimacy. Jason said this was due to the depression that he and Ezra were both experiencing over the termination of their pregnancy, albeit separately. Yeah. Ezra claimed that Jason started to become controlling, and he would snap at her about things around the house. He became very micromanagery with her, gaslighting her, and would overall be just approach unapproachable. Ugh. She likened it to living with her father, Joe Shane. Wow. Jason, in an effort to keep their relationship afloat, often tried to include Ezra in his friend's game nights, but this was short-lived. Short Ezra would lose interest in going out to game nights, and at least on one occasion, she actually threatened self-harm if Jason were to go without her. Oh my gosh. And Jason said that she had become to seem, or had seemed to become very manic and have um, a lot of anxiety, and that she would acquire this anxiety very easily. How old is she? 20. Sounds like the beginning of Borderline, potentially. Ezra would accuse Jason of talking shit about her to his friends. And, um, like, whenever he would go to game night alone. Keep in mind that these are some of Jason's closest friends. One being Jason's best friend of five years, John Hansen, and his wife at the time. Jason and John were exceptionally close, first bonding over their military service. John and Ezra did seem to get along, however, despite her accusations of Jason's friends not liking her. On one occasion, Jason came home to hear commotion inside of his apartment, and peering through the window, he saw John and Ezra horse playing in the living room, kind of like play wrestling or fighting or something. Yeah. Jason said at the time he did not feel that A, Ezra was in any real danger, after all this was his best friend, not a stranger, and B, nothing untoward was happening between John and Ezra. Again, this is his best friend, who's married and not some stranger. Yeah, and she talks shit about him, so she obviously doesn't like him. John? 
Yeah. Yeah. She's like, oh, you talk shit about me to your friends, and they probably talk shit about... They talk shit about me, you talk shit about me to them. Yeah. And she's like, yeah. clearly has her guard up about this guy. Right. right. But then... Wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> but then... They're just wrestling. <laughs> I wouldn't wrestle someone that I didn't really care for. Yeah. <laughs> like, get the fuck away from me. Nonetheless, Jason saw this through the window, but he felt so comfortable in both of those facts that he felt like neither of them would do anything. He actually finished his cigarette outside before he even entered the home. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. (laughs) So he said it wasn't an awkward feeling at all when he entered the residence. Oh no, stop. Feeling alone and distant from her partner, Ezra would frequent races on a regular basis. Often when Jason would either work late or be out of town for work, Ezra would hang out all night at the coffee shop and eventually her and Alex Woodworth, the night shift barista, would begin talking longer and longer well into closing time. That was a long sentence. It's all right. I got it. (laughs) Over the course of a few weeks, Alex and Ezra would begin to take long walks after Alex would close the coffee shop. The two would talk for hours while walking the streets of downtown Eau Claire, seemingly losing track of time more oftentimes than not. Ezra couldn't believe how much they connected. She confided in Alex about her recent abortion and how it affected her and Jason's relationship. Alex felt depressed and like an outsider in his family, so they bonded. I just want to say, sorry, in my opinion, like, talking to another single male about the struggles with your relationship with with a guy is a red flag. It is. It is a red flag. It's a no-go. That's very inappropriate, in my opinion. I would not do that. I agree. Eventually, Alex and Ezra started holding hands on the walks that they would be sharing. Eventually, they would hug and eventually begin kissing on these walks. I feel like it probably escalated quicker than that. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) They probably held hands, hugged, and kissed all within, like, a couple minutes. It's so true, yeah. uh, They grew up in the 1940s. Yeah. Yeah. I saw her ankle one night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You want a little bit of ankle? Yeah. You want some of this? You want some of this? The relationship grew into a sexual one while Ezra was still living with Jason. Hmm. So this was somewhere between October 6th and October 29th. So we're talking very quickly, like you said. Yeah. And of course, it's like, you know, Ezra, during her testimony, was probably like, we held hands, and then one time we kissed, and then one time we hugged. It was like a fairy tale, But it's literally probably all on the same night. So... Ezra claimed that she was falling in love with Alex at this point. Ezra had even started staying the night at Alex's come early November while Jason would be out of town on assignment. I'm not saying this is Jason's fault at all. Like, Ezra's totally to blame here, and so is Alex, honestly. But he's giving her the affection that Jason's not. Mm -hmm. Even when he is home, he's, like he said, very depressed and very just, like, unapproachable. And then he's gone for long periods of time. So she's probably just seeking you know, that comfort elsewhere. Yeah, Yeah. I would totally agree with that. I think that Jason provides something that Ezra didn't have on her own, which is a roof over her head Mm -hmm. and probably food and very much is, Ezra even said it, very reminiscent of her father. Someone that would probably always be in her corner if she needed it. And Jason had a big enough heart to do that. But the affection, the love, she probably didn't get that from him. Yeah. Well, she probably didn't want that from him. It seemed transactional. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. So, even began, Ezra even began becoming friendly with Alex's close friends and roommates. And this relationship went on for some time, all the way through the holidays. Ezra described their relationship like yin and yang. Ezra was the light and the sun, while Alex was the night and the rain. (laughs) 
Damn. Which is so poetic, right? I'd be like, so much cheer. I'm bright and cheery, too. (laughs) I'm bright and cheery. The more time Ezra and Alex spent intimately together, their sexual experiences broadened. The once, quote-unquote, vanilla sex had grown into certain kinks and fetishes. It was so vanilla that we only held hands. It was so vanilla. <laughs> like, we only held hands when we kissed, and it was, like, missionary. And Showed him some egg. All of a sudden, we're both wearing pleather gimp suits. <laughs> escalates quickly. It escalates very quickly. So the two seemed to enjoy their direction, that the direction that the sexual relationship was going. All along, Jason's in the dark, or he's, well, he's just... traveling a lot for work. Yeah. And... He works out of town, so not all the time is he in town, but she spends most of her time at Racy's. Okay. And so people are noticing yeah. that, oh, isn't she with Jason? Is the she not crowd. with Jason? Yeah. yeah. And of course, I'm sure she felt very comfortable explaining away anything that anybody had a problem with. I'm sure. Because they see her probably 80% more than they see Jason. Yeah. It's true. That's a good point. If they see her a lot, they're probably going to be more likely to believe her when she says, oh, Jason knows, he's cool with it, or, yeah. oh, we broke up, or, oh, we're Jason doesn't want to deal with me. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And they were roommates. <laughs> By early January, Ezra had become increasingly anxious about the months-long affair. She expressed her concerns to Alex, who could not understand why Ezra just wouldn't leave Jason. After all, Ezra was telling everyone that Jason was manipulative and abusive since the abortion, and that they were essentially just roommates, like we we just discussed. <laughs> we just deciphered. We, ju- we just made official. By mid to late January, the pressure seemed to be too much for Alex, and he would cut his own wrists. <gasps> oh, no. Immediately, he contacted Ezra to help him, and Ezra relayed to Jason that Alex was in need of help. And Jason, being military, insisted that he would go along to help Alex as well. Has no ca- clue in the world. No, he doesn't. Well, other than he didn't really appreciate the fact, quote-unquote, appreciate the fact that Ezra and Alex were spending a lot of time together, but he didn't really have any confirmation that anything had happened. Although I do think that, I mean, I feel like I know Jason pretty well by now. (laughs) I think that even if he did know, he's still the kind of guy that would have lent out a hand to help. Oh, for sure. Yeah, exactly. He would probably put everything aside to go help If it's to save a life, you know, all the bullshit aside, like, I'm going to save a life. For sure. The two went to Alex's it's his apartment, but I think he lived in a house where Jason was able to successfully dress Alex's wounds. And although Alex discussed that he was having some issues with family and depression, he did not use this time to tell Jason about his and Ezra's relationship. Yeah. Between February 4th and February 15th of 2018, Jason went on assignment for approximately a week or so. Ezra, instead of staying at the apartment that she and Jason shared, she opted to head home to her mother's house in Stanley. However, Jason would not be made aware that Ezra not only moved out, but even broke it off, uh, broke the relationship off until after he left. Oh my god! So she called him like a few days after he left and was like, oh, I'm breaking up with you, by the way, I moved out. By the way, I'm gone. I'm gone. Well, I mean, not for nothing, but like probably easier than dealing with him there because he's probably the kind of guy that would try to fix it and say want to have the long conversation and want to you know change or say that he'll change you know and i'm sure she didn't want that like an adult though exactly and (laughs) she's like oh wait let me just sneak off while you're gone exactly it was very immature on her part very sure so at this time ezra would also crash with her father joe shane during this time which i already said time 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 but ultimately decided to find another apartment in Eau Claire area, possibly with her very close friend, Alex Woodworth. Hmm. 
Her and Jason kept in contact while Jason was gone, even though the two were not together. But shortly after even this, Ezra broke up with Alex, too. Or broke up with, quote-unquote. Okay. She, like, stopped hanging out with Alex. After Jason's return, Ezra expressed that she wanted to come visit him in Eau Claire, but she didn't have any money. And given that Jason's friend had friends had at this time expressed their honest opinions about Ezra, <laughs> staying at Jason's apartment was not an option. Yeah, they're like, fuck that. They're like, no. Oh, she's coming into town? She's gonna stay with she's not gonna stay with you, is she? Ugh. Yeah. <sighs> you learned that lesson the first time, the hard way. Jason decided to rent a hotel room for the two to stay in for one weekend. During their stay at this hotel, however, Ezra left her iPod out after falling asleep. No. Jason then found text messages exchanged between Ezra and another man, but maybe not the one you'd expect. Not Alex. This man was none other than Jason's best friend and married John Hansen. The one that they were wrestling. They were wrestling. Who saw that one coming? (laughs) (laughs) Not me. Yes, John Hansen was married and had a child. The texts between the two were on February 11th, just a few days after Jason left for assignment, and they read, So at this point, I will be Ezra, and you will be John. Okay. It's going to be gross and creepy. I I haven't read, I saw (laughs) that you emailed me the transcript, but I haven't read through it yet, so I'm not even going to just, I'm not going to go. Just go. It's stressful looking for places, so that might be a nice to relive. So, again, she's deleted previous text messages, and these are the ones that she forgot to delete. Okay. So, this is a continuation of a conversation they were already having. It's stressful looking for places, so that might be nice to relive. Working out again really does make you want to fuck everything that moves. Might also be a predator. A body in motion wants to stay in motion. (laughs) Are you going to pound this anytime soon? (laughs) Sorry, I'm being rude. Not this week. I have my son. It's all right to be blunt. Just gotta be all right with it coming back your way. It's so crunchy. Okay. Keep in mind, Jason is reading this about his partner and best friend. Yeah. Just let me know when I can get my next in and out, winky face. In and out. Also, hanging out and doing art again would be nice because you're more than just a good dick. Oh, that should be nice. He's such a good kid. <laughs> I immediately went back to the fact that he's a he's spending time with his son. After just saying the word in and out. In and out <laughs> and you're more than a good dick. <laughs> in reference to sex. She seems so much older though, doesn't she? She I seems so t- mature. Totally use a little bit of whoopee. <laughs> She what might as well that? have said. She might have. And also, isn't, like, calling someone sex with them in and out, like, an insult? Yeah, just, just let me know when I can get my next in and out. Wink. Okay. But Sorry. she's not like other girls, though. That's the thing. She's okay. not like other girls. She talks nasty. Here's John. Why, thank you. He's a good kid. I'm looking forward to spending some dad time with him. Oh, that melts my heart. I'd love to paint with him sometime. The following day. <laughs> Feeling like a snake today. What's wriggling through your mind? Ew. Ew. I've been with my son all day. My mind is pretty preoccupied. That's understandable. Dad time. Two days later, Valentine's Day, and before Jason comes home. See something, say nothing, and drink to forget. Happy Valentine's. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful, Ezra. 
Happy Valentine's. I have a way with words, John. No, uh-huh. the fuck you don't. <laughs> I'm sorry, that wasn't me. That wasn't John. It's just, it shows, so that's it. It's not, like, funny. It's just, like, cringy. It's you know so what I cringy. Mean? And like, it's just, <sighs> like I said, she thinks that she's this otherworldly, like, like, she thinks, oh, you know what's so edgy of me is to say in and out and you're more than a good dick. Like, that makes sense, like, for her to say that. But grave and some in and out. He's like, you should get a burger then. Then you should go. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that, I mean, I don't like that because, okay, two things are happening here. It clearly shows that they have had a sexual past, yeah. right, before se- February 11th. Yes. And Jason comes back on the 15th, I think. So, and he left on the 4th. So this clearly shows that they had a sexual relationship before these messages. Yes. But it also shows that John is not into her, like, at all. The fact that he's like, I'm with my son. I'm yeah. preoccupied. I'm like, busy. you clearly don't understand that I'm not into sexting you right now. Because, yeah. But that's the thing is, it is a maturity level. You can see it there. You can see that she's too immature to be like, oh, you're with your son. Have a great day. Yeah. She's, she's like, like hope he's not reading the messages trying to get yeah. that good D. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, let me paint with your son. It's like, girl, we hooked up a few times. Yeah. And you want to like spend time with my kid. Very casual to him and very serious to her. For sure. So given the context of the message, it was clear to Jason that Ezra and John had been having a relationship for some time. Jason immediately screenshot these messages and sent them to himself. Fucking pro. Good boy. Jason then confronted Ezra, and Ezra insisted that Jason was looking into these messages as if she was guilty of cheating, but she clearly wasn't. I need more of that in and out. You can't really <laughs> misinterpret that unless she just really You're likes in and out. More than a good dick. Protein <laughs> style or animal style? <laughs> you oh, tell oh. me. And then, and then when she realized that he wasn't into it, she's like, or we can talk about art and wine again. Yeah. Like, ooh. So, yes. She insisted that this was not the case, that he was just being paranoid. He tried to gaslight him. She tried to gaslight him. Yeah, and then she's like, what if you're cheating? Yeah. That's why you're asking me, because exactly. you're probably cheating. You're being salacious. Jason then called John to confront him about the messages. And John eventually admitted that the two did engage in sexual acts after denying it at first. Furious, Jason needed to get out of the hotel room and suggested that he and Ezra go to a friend's house in order to calm down and talk. As Jason... Huh? He brought her with him? He's like, let's both go? Yes. I'd be like, fuck you. I'm they, leaving your ass here. I don't give a shit if you don't live here. Jason said, he put it, that he wanted to have a neutral friend that was level-headed in the room with him. Very, I love this guy. I know. Very smart guy. I know. And very mature, emotionally mature. I think so. At first, Ezra maintained that nothing had happened, but then began to talk about the night of February 4th, which is the day that Jason left. Yeah. Stating that John had forced himself on her. Oh. Ezra said that? Yes. Oh. Okay. <laughs> it was like, oh. 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 Ezra said that her and John had made plans to create art and have some wine that night to discuss the state of her and Jason relationship, Jason's relationship. Is she even 21 at this point? No, she's 20. Oh, Jesus. But every, but I, I'm telling you, everybody thought that she was much older because of who she hung out with, the way she carried herself, or at least yeah. she, who she portrayed herself to be. So I don't think that anybody was like, hey, how old are you? Yeah. And even if they did, she probably lied. 25. Yeah. Ezra claimed that John and his roommate were poking fun at her for not being able to drink as much as them. This is what she. This is all what she's telling Jason. Okay. 
She claimed that John and his roommate were poking fun of her for not being able to drink as much as them and that she had and that she had also not eaten much that day, resulting in Ezra becoming so drunk that she became ill. Hmm. Eventually, John's roommate went to bed, and after being in the bathroom for some time, Ezra said that all she remembered was being carried upstairs and placed in John's bed. Ezra said at some point she felt her tights being removed and that she couldn't remember much but that, quote, a woman knows when things have happened to her the next morning, end quote. I don't buy it. That's what she claimed. No, I'm not, the quote, yes, but I don't buy her whole story is what I mean. Well, yeah, and I, yeah, we'll see. Although her memory was hazy, Ezra said that she did feel like there were sexual acts that happened to her, but that she didn't resist, and in fact, she remembered that the sex was unprotected. Mm. So she remembers that the sex is unprotected. She did, remembers not saying no, but she doesn't remember anything else in that, yeah. That, I mean, that's that not unreasonable. No. Like, if someone is being truthful about that, mm-hmm. that's not out of the realm of possibilities, that you only remember certain things, but, like, certain things that are important, like, right. it wasn't protected, you mm-hmm. know. When these acts were done, she was then told by John to go to another guest room in order to sleep, which she did, and she stayed there until the next morning, and that was because... He was concerned that the roommate would see Ezra come out of his bedroom in the morning. So she was to sleep in the other room because he was married. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe he shouldn't have fucked Well, and she's with Jason. (laughs) Yeah. When the two woke up the next morning, John and Ezra got into John's car for him to take her back to the apartment that Jason and Ezra shared. Ezra told Jason that she was very uncomfortable because John acted like nothing had happened the night before. She's like, he just, like, seemed like everything was fine, like it had never happened. Looking for a new perfume or cologne to match your style? Scentbird has got you covered. With over 600 scents to fall in love with, Scentbird is a fragrance subscription box that will give you plenty of choices. Just choose what you would like from their best sellers, activate your subscription, and receive your first 120 spray bottle. Click the link in the show notes now to receive an exclusive offer with Simbird. Once the two arrived at Jason and Ezra's apartment, John walked Ezra inside. And there in Jason's bed, which Ezra shared with him, she claimed that John pressured her into sexual acts once again. What? The two engaged in unprotected sex once again. So she was coherent at this point. She was sober. Okay. Yeah. Albeit probably hungover. Well, yeah, but, you know. A few days later is when Ezra would break up with Jason while he was out of town on assignment. So this happened, Jason left on the February 4th. This happened February 4th, February, the morning of February 5th. And then, like, I think it was, like, the 7th or 8th is when she broke up with Jason and moved out. Okay, so Hmm. someone being, like, in that situation might have thought, oh, I'm very, I feel a lot of guilt about this. Even if it wasn't her fault, even mm-hmm. if she was taken advantage of, I'm just going to break it off with Jason yeah. in order to avoid having to tell him what happened. Yeah, and I, absolutely. That is, I feel like we've definitely heard stories where that's, that's happened before. You I don't want to say, like, that's reasonable, of, but it, it's understandable. An immense amount of guilt, right? Yeah. So Ezra would move back in with her mom, and Alex Woodworth would help her move. Of course, he was all like, bet, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'll help you move. Let me pack up your shit for you. Even after she... She's still kind of going back and forth with Alex and Jason all the time. That's that's just a theme. Okay. So, again... Oh, so, I yeah, I had mentioned previously that 
she had stopped talking to Alex during this whole time, right? Yeah. So she essentially had Alex move her stuff to her mom's, and then that's when she broke up with Alex, got too, it, or got broke it, it off with Alex. Yeah. So the doozy of all this, John Hansen is actually really good friends with Alex Woodworth, too. Oh. So all three of them are friends. They're all just dipping from the same pot. <laughs> I was trying to think of... Yeah, they so, got the... That's gross. Yeah, all the, all the same fountain pen. So yeah, gross. So yes, they all knew each other pretty well. So this was the timeline of events that had happened then, but we're going to get back to the conversation that Ezra and Jason are having inside their level-headed friend's home. Okay, after they left the hotel. Yes. So now the conversation has shifted. Jason is saying now out loud that he is going to kill John Hansen for assaulting Ezra. Jeez. He's like, right? He's like, let's go find a friend that's level-headed. Oh, we kill that motherfucker. Like, <laughs> I need this guy to talk me down from, murder. <laughs> from murdering this guy. Yes, everything begins to escalate. So their level-headed friend decides to call police because the situation is becoming, him. right? I'm saying, like, these are a good group of guys-ish. Yeah. Well, so far, there's at least one asshole yeah. that we've been told of. Oh, God. Keep going. Right. So again, the friend called police and the police arrive. They separate all parties, and Ezra herself asks to go to the police station to get out of the tense situation to speak with police privately, mm-hmm. which, again, is kind of her MO right now. Yeah. Like, she just dips, like, whenever she feels stress or anxiety. She it's... just kind of, I mean, which is, I feel like is a normal flight or fight response, but it has, it's been like, you know, oh, uh, can't live with Joe Shane, can't live with... Uh, Rosalina gonna go to Eau Claire as often as possible escape that situation by moving in with Jason now yeah. I'm gonna escape that situation by moving in with my mom I'm gonna escape the situation by going with police it's definitely a coping mechanism right. did you say her parents her parents had separated when she was younger right and right she but had they to live with her dad for a little while uh no she lived with her mom mostly they both live in Stanley though not very far from each other so she kept in contact with Joe Shane it's the only father she calls him dad yeah it's the only father that she's ever known, but um, in her later years, after bouncing around from Jason's in Eau Claire to her mom's, she was staying with Joe Shane every once in a while. Yeah, I'm just thinking it might be like a, almost like a pattern of behavior in her family. Like her mom left when it got hard with Joe Shane, right? Yeah. And so now she's like, oh, well, that's what you do when things get hard mm-hmm. as a you know female identifying person or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, oh, you just leave. It's just easier. We'll just start yeah. fresh over here and we'll just move here and we'll just do that, you know? I definitely think it started when she was younger, though, because she never knew her bio father. Yeah. So I think that she is used to men using her or or yes. um, or leaving. And so I think that a lot of it is garnering attention from men and the appreciation that she can get. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think... I'll talk about it towards the end, too. That there, I have another theory. Yeah. So. Yes. At the police station, Ezra, through tears, described the incident she experienced with John. She never used the word rape or assault, but did state that John had been physically aggressive with her in the past, including the night that Jason saw the two horse playing through the window. That's not unusual either. Sorry, I keep interrupting. No, you're fine. It's very... I would say rare for a woman that's been sexually assaulted to immediately use the word rape. Mm -hmm. You know, I have heard multiple instances when, you know, someone can't accept that that's what happened to them until many years later Mm -hmm. because it's such a harsh word. Right. And you don't want to believe that you fell victim to that. Right. Right. 
or that maybe that's not what happened. Maybe I'm overplaying it. You know, I've heard instances where people kind of gaslight themselves and they say like, oh no, I'm just overreacting or like, well, I didn't say no or whatever. Kind of like using it as like, oh, it's, you know, not a big deal. Kind of brush it off. Unfortunately, that's what people are led to think that they need to do, you know, when they do get sexually assaulted. So it's not unusual that she wouldn't immediately use that term. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was in a physically abusive relationship starting at the age of 17, and I didn't realize that I was in a domestic violence situation. It became, that just sounded so harsh to me, you know, to describe someone who I thought I loved at the time. Yeah, I'm for like, sure. no, 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 it's like, he just gets really angry, or he just gets really, you know, some, like, sometimes he can't control himself. Making and, excuses. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, it was probably years after I removed myself from that situation to be like, damn, that was a domestic violence situation. <laughs> like, shit. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> That's yeah. heavy. No, it's definitely hard, for sure. And, I mean, credit to all the people that have been through anything like that and are able to be strong and say that and say, Fuck that, I'm not letting that happen again. Right. Right. So Ezra maintained that although she did not exactly want to be in a sexual encounter with John, she also didn't use the word no or consider the encounter to be an assault. So with that, the police gave Ezra some pamphlets containing programs and counseling for counseling information, but then was free to leave the station. Well, and that sucks too. Sorry, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Keep interrupting. <laughs> You're fine. Last thing I want to say, that sucks too, because if she's not willing to use that terminology and she's just brushing it off like it's no big deal, the police aren't going to pursue it like right. a sexual They legally case. can't because yeah. they, she didn't, she committed, she essentially um, reported no crime. Exactly. But, and I mean, that's not her fault. It's not at the end of the day, however, they just can't, they can't use it for anything. And that's the thing is like, I just feel like in this case specifically, I think that the police were correct in being like, here's when, when, or if you feel the need to reach out to somebody, here's the information. Absolutely. So after her interview, Ezra further confessed that she had also been intimate with Alex. She confessed this to Jason. Oh, okay. But this was, um, also unwanted contact is what she claimed. She stated that the day after John forced Ezra into sexual acts, she confided in Alex Woodworth, who then took advantage of Ezra's delicate state. Okay. So now she's been assaulted by two people within 48 48 hours. hours. So we're seeing a pattern here. Yes. Then again, this is not to say that it didn't happen. Yeah. This is Ezra's account. I will say that there was no evidence whatsoever that either of these assaults occurred. And it's hard, though, because you can't, you cannot write that off and say, right. no, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You need to believe people when they say that. Right. And that's the hard part about this of situation. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not necessarily not believing her. Yeah. It's just that that one sentence, there was as no evidence out. that yeah. this occurred. And you also know the whole story, you know, as it that's goes true. into it. <laughs> Even with all this information, Jason continued to support Ezra wow. and tried to make the relationship work. After all, he cared very deeply for Ezra still, Plus, the poor girl had, in his mind, been assaulted twice by two people he thought he could trust. What a fucking guy. I really hope this this guy turns out to be, like, <laughs> the guy. Like, I hope he's okay. <laughs> the listeners are going to hear it first. I have a little bit of a crush on Jason Mangle. <laughs> <laughs> so come March, things were starting to settle down for Ezra. She had begun staying with her mom and began working at a local school with special needs elementary school kiddos. Okay. And she was in line to accept a new position elsewhere. Her and Jason maintained contact for this duration of time. And Ezra began to feel loving feelings towards Jason again. And she's what, 20, 21? She's 20. 20, so Again, this is all like within the six months. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. So this is in March. So Jason and her met 
in July, August of 2017. This is just She March. turned 20 in October, yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, again, her and Jason maintained contact, and Ezra felt like she was beginning to fall in love with Jason. And maybe the distance is just what they needed. Ezra went to Eau Claire to visit Jason in mid-March, and they became intimate very quickly. This was, like, kind of the first time that they saw each other again. This attempt at another chance with Jason was all at the behest of her mother, who did not agree on the two dating again. She felt like the relationship wasn't a good one, that maybe Ezra extended herself too much, vice versa, Jason extending Mm -hmm. himself too much. Not only that, but the age gap. Yeah. Ezra would continue to come into town and spend time with Jason and the Racy's crowd, but now people were beginning to talk about her negatively, kind of turn on Ezra, because now it's like, there's all this other commotion, right? Because she accused John of sexual assault. She, well, she didn't accuse him of sexual assault. The two had engaged in sexual acts with or without her verbal consent. That's because she was very adamant in the trial. She said, I never used the word assault. I never did. I never used the word rape. I never used the word assault as it pertained to John or Alex. But the word's getting around, right? Yeah. And of course, Alex is homies with everyone that... Lee works there. What is it? Racy's? Racy's. Racy's. Racy Delane's. Well, it's called Racy Delane's, but they call it Racy's. Yeah. Okay. That's a cute little coffee shop. If you ever get to look at pictures, it's so cute. I keep thinking this is a bar. (laughs) No, yeah. it's, It's a little coffee shop. So at this point, the situation seems to become even more tense when Ezra's phone number was written on the inside of one of the bathroom stalls, including the words, fuck me with her phone number. Cute. Right? Oh my God. That's going to do wonders for her mental health. Oh my gosh. So again, I'm not trying to... (sighs) Do you think it was her? I think it was her. (gasps) I think it was her. I think that she did it on purpose because I think that she wanted to... Her next angle in my mind was like, okay, now people don't like me. Now it's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lean into being a victim here. Paint the picture. Paint yeah. the picture of being a victim so that Jason doesn't leave. Yeah. And so, yes, she had taken a picture and sent it to Jason. And so Jason continued to have Ezra's back by then going to Racy's. They're unisex bathrooms, by the way. Yeah, so it's yeah, not yeah. like it was just in a boy's bathroom or a girl's bathroom. They're, they're gender neutral bathrooms. Jason continued to have Ezra's back by covering the message with the words, quote, life starts now, which is something that Ezra said that her dad used to say. Okay. Isn't that sweet? It's really sweet. I love hey. Jason. No, Jason's literally the best. What the he fuck? did. He took a picture of it and then he had crossed it out and he, he wrote life starts now. And he's like, I wrote it there as a reminder to her that this isn't the end of everything. You can change this. Like you can turn this around. I feel like if Casey, like... If someone wrote my name in the bathroom with my number instead of fuck me, Casey would just cross out fuck me and just leave the number. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He wouldn't. Call but he me. would be like, LOL, babe, that's hilarious. That's I'm hilarious. Like, no, fucking delete it. Get, get rid of hilarious. it. <laughs> like, oh, that's sweet, though. A few nights before March 22nd, Jason went out with a few friends, namely his roommate, Alex, Alex Zink, and his girlfriend, Jenna. Not Jason's, but Alex's. Jason proceeded to get drunk, and the conversation soon swayed into Jason's friend's dislike of Ezra. But most notably, Jenna confirmed that Alex Woodworth and Ezra's relationship was deeper than what Ezra expressed to Jason. Yeah, she's like, yeah, well, we had sexually assaulted me, or he took advantage of me, or whatever she said. that's all she said. But he doesn't know that they were, like, dating. Together for a while. Jason was uninterested in hearing what Jenna had to say that night, so he headed home into bed. 
The next morning, Jason woke to a letter that Jenna had written to Jason in regards to her feelings of Ezra and her overall concern for Jason. Jason, hungover but level-headed, considered what Jenna had said the night before and in the letter, and that the relationship between Alex and Ezra had clearly been over some months and not just one incident, as Ezra had explained. Honestly, good for Jenna, though. Yeah. She was like, well, this is what I heard. What a nice girl. And like, yeah. Yeah. And then she was like, okay, well, Jason's just drunk. I'll just tell him in the morning. And so she wrote him a letter. On the back of this letter, Jason then compiled a timeline of events. And much like a scene from A Beautiful Mind, the dots began to connect for Jason and he could see a pattern. This poor guy. He's like, I've done nothing but try to help her and be nice to her and believe her and forgive her and try to make it work. done nothing but sleep with my friends. Yeah. Ugh. So Jason called and confronted Ezra about the discrepancies in her story. Again, Ezra's kind of back and forth with Joe Shane and her mom. Mm -hmm. Ezra had no answers for this. And Ezra would request to actually hang on to the letter. She's like, oh, can I have that letter? I want to read that letter. Can I have it? And Jason agreed. If I was Jenna, I'd be like, hey, no, 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 this (laughs) is for you. I mean, it's Jason's, yeah. But I think it was more like, what the fuck is this kind of a thing? Like, you know, kind of like, let me, like, oh, let me see this letter then, uh, you know, whatever. So Jason would then begin to pull back and Ezra would be able to feel this, of course. So, you know, maybe not as many phone calls or talking as much. Ezra would soon tell Jason that she felt that she could no longer hang on to certain things that Alex had given her over the time, their time together. And she swore to Jason that she would fix everything and she would tell Alex off once and for all and exchange their stuff and finally be done with it, right? So including their friendship, she just wouldn't even be friends with Mm -hmm. Alex either. She promised to dedicate herself to Jason 100%. A few days passed, and by March 22nd, Jason began his morning with a phone call to Ezra. The two chatted about what their days held, and Ezra said that she would be staying with her dad, and that her dad wasn't letting her use her car. I think it was, like, no insurance or no registration or something, and Mm -hmm. he was like, you're not going to drive the car, you know. Jason hung up with Ezra and headed down to Water Street to do some laundry, and periodically in between loads, he was going up to Racy's to grab coffee and chill. On one trip back to Racy's, Jason was sitting outside on the benches smoking a cigarette when he saw Ezra walking towards the shop. Usually, Ezra Ezra would let him know if she was going to be in town so that they could hang out together, so he found this to be kind of odd that she would just come to town. Show up, yeah. Especially because she had told him, I can't go to town because I don't have my car. Yeah, that's true. Ezra seemed upset, said very little as she passed by Jason and another regular and went inside Racy's. Soon, Jason realized that Ezra was missing from Racy's, like he had been inside and then she either probably left and he didn't notice or she yeah. maybe left through the nucleus and didn't notice or whatever it was. <laughs> through the nucleus. The nucleus. <laughs> that's that's the, little, the little food shop and they're connected too. Oh, that's what it's called. <laughs> It's called the nucleus. I thought that was like a term. (laughs) No, Racy Delane's and then the nucleus. (laughs) Yeah. He grew concerned, as mentioned earlier, Ezra looked upset when she showed up. And he also knew that at some point, like, because earlier in the week she had said that she was going to meet up with Alex, and so he got concerned. Yeah. He worried for her safety and, you know, the escalation of the conversation. Mm. Sure enough, Jason hopped on his bike and saw Ezra's car outside of Alex's place, and it was idling. Jason also noticed that the note that Jenna had given Jason was sitting on her passenger seat. I fucking knew it. (laughs) I knew it. 
Jason waited for a few minutes outside of Alex's home, but soon became, became uncomfortable with the amount of time Ezra was inside. Because you left your car idling. Yeah. So if your car is idling, that just kind of suggests you're going to run inside and come out. And he also got there... I mean, we're talking maybe maybe 10 minutes after maybe her 10, 15, minutes. and yeah. that's a long time to right. already be inside. Exactly. So Jason decided to approach the door. He opened the door, it was unlocked, and Jason's phone actually started to ring, like somebody was calling him. And it was a, he explained it in the trial that it was a very noticeable ringtone, like mm-hmm. something that would be recognized by Ezra. He then heard Ezra say quote, let him help you or let him, let him help you or let me help you. And Jason, um, it was in a very loud tone. So Jason ran up to Alex's bedroom and he thought that maybe Alex was trying to harm himself again. So he walks into Alex's bedroom. The door was cracked and Alex and Ezra are sitting on his bed. However, both parties seem to be fine, although they look like they were deep in discussion. Jason then recommended that the two talk in a more public setting. He was like, I don't know why you guys would choose to talk in private about something that's very sensitive. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, if you guys are going to talk about this, I'd rather you do it in public. It would make me feel better. Especially given Alex's seemingly already one suicide attempt. So, Jason decided to walk outside. He said, I'm going to be outside for the time being. I would like y'all to both come downstairs when you have a moment, you know. And he just... Continues to be a good guy. <laughs> Continues to be a good guy. <laughs> and level-headed and emotionally, Im- like, mature. Yes. Not immature. Mature. Yes. So Jason walks outside, um, you know, by his bike, by Ezra's car. He starts smoking a cigarette. And he was like, you know what? Just to be sure, I'm going to call the police. So he calls the police. And by the time the police arrive for the welfare check, the two started coming outside of the home anyways. So there didn't really seem to be that much of an escalation anymore. The police kind of just left the scene. They said, you know, as long as you guys go somewhere else, talk. You can talk privately, but in public, you know, let's just, you know, Jason, you move on and then y'all go do whatever you're going to do, right? So the conversation seemed to be resolved or at least calm for the time being. And Alex and Ezra were, they told Jason, we're going to go to a local park and that's where we're going to talk. So that's what they did. Alex, um... I think Alex drove Ezra's car or vice versa. I can't remember. Jason went back to Racy's after that. And at 4.15, a 90-year-old dairy farmer by the name of Don Sipple was sitting inside his home about to have dinner for the evening. All of a sudden, he noticed a shadow run past his den window. And then he started receiving a frantic ringing of his doorbell. Mr. Sipple opened his door and was met by a bruised and bloodied young girl. Her clothes were torn and she was barefoot. She immediately begged for Mr. Sipple to call for help as he brought her into the warmth of his home. She could not recall her name or what had happened to her, but then she recollected that she was assaulted and she was from Eau Claire. The police arrived and took the girl to the hospital, where the girl referred to herself as Monica Carlin and her one request was for someone to contact Jason Mangle. <gasps> what? <laughs> Hospital staff and police noted that Monica was covered in blood and mud. She also had a few cuts on her, but most notably was a carving on her left arm. Cut into Monica's arm was the word boy. Police were on the lookout for any potential suspicious people in the area, 
As Monica had not been able to describe anyone who could be her perpetrator, she had no recollection of her perpetrator. And I'm sure she's right-handed. Eventually, it was found that there was no registered name for a Monica Carlin in the area, and Ezra gave them her full name. Although Ezra was hysterical at Mr. Sipple's house, she was notably calm for someone who went through what she looked like she had gone through. Jason, uh, you know, he was going to and from races and laundry and all that sort of stuff, became concerned that Ezra and Alex, after hours of not hearing from them, something had happened. And at some point, Jason went to the police station to ask for help in locating the two, as he was concerned about Alex's prior behavior of self-harm. He was told by police that Ezra had been assaulted and that Alex and Ezra's car was still missing. At this point, a manhunt was on was on to locate Alex as he was now wanted for attacking Ezra. Oh my god. Police came into Ezra's hospital room in order to get further information from Ezra. She said that she remembered being in a park, but not much more after that. The search for Alex would eventually end when Alex's body was located on <gasps> Mr. Sipple's property. On the property? Yes. It was a pretty big property, but yes. Oh my god. Hmm. Ezra's car was stuck in the mud, and there in the back seat, Alex was found halfway hanging out of the back passenger seat door, and he had been stabbed 16 times in the head, neck, chest, and groin. Oh my god, that's so personal. Very personal. I mean, obviously it was her, but that's so personal. It was only after Alex's body was found did Ezra confess that she was the one who hurt Alex, but it was out of self-defense. She claimed that he tried to sexually assault her yet again, and after carving the word boy into Ezra's arm, she found a knife in her middle console and stabbed Alex several times, but only to get away, and that she had no idea how many times she stabbed him, or that his wounds were fatal. Um, you stabbed him on multiple t- like parts of his body. That's not self-defense. Well, the fact that she tried to claim that he carved boy into her arm. And like, how still were you knife. sitting? Yeah. yeah, how still were you sitting? And that That's she just true. happened to have a knife? Yeah, of course. You couldn't just grab the knife that he was using to carve into your arm? Right. Or maybe they shared it. I don't know. Yeah. Two weeks after Alex Woodworth was killed, Ezra McCandless would be arrested for first-degree murder. During the trial, Ezra claimed that she was no longer masculine identifying, and she had grown her hair out to middle length. She wore lots of pink and floral patterns, and it was noted that she constantly doodled in court, claiming that it was an anxiety soother. Whatever. I, she has such a nonchalantness about her. Yeah. That's She's just like, oh, yes, I can, you know, can you tell us what happened on March 22nd? Yes. I, this, and... You know, I loved Alex, and and it's not it's not as vacant as maybe Jody Arias, but it's very removed. It is very removed. It's very dissociative. Yeah, for sure. It's it's really interesting to watch, and you know, she she portrays herself to be this mousy. Um, in fact, her defense attorney, as soon as she gets up, and she said, "Oh, uh, you know, okay, we're gonna bring." Ezra McCandless to the to the stand, you know, and then Ezra sits down and she's like, okay, state your name. And she's like, Ezra McCandless. Okay, Ezra, I understand that you're very soft-spoken, so you're going to have to speak up for the court. And it's like, no, no what happened to you more than a good dick, girl? You know, yeah. like. <laughs> that's not soft-spoken like, at That's all. not soft-spoken at in all. In and out, come in on. In and out, girl. come on. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get in and out of that courtroom, come on. Exactly. So it's it's very interesting to see the way that they portrayed her. So yeah. my point in saying that is that Ezra, 
not always had very short hair, but she did consider herself to be more masculine presenting. And in the trial, she portrays herself to be this very demure woman, young woman, all of a sudden. And I think it's because people would be confused about her identity and how she could express that in a way that jurors would understand. Well, it's also probably a, oh, look at this sweet, soft-spoken, nice girl. She Mm -hmm. could never have done something like this unless she was sexually assaulted. That's true. You know, and she's so nice that... I mean, she so might have quiet. been sexually assaulted, you and know. she's so small. She can't stand up for herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The defense claimed that Alex was mentally a mentally sick individual who had been coming increasingly unhinged and homicidal oh after his God. suicide attempt, or seeming suicide attempt. Alex was physically and sexually abusive towards Ezra, often holding her down and blindfolding her during their sexual encounters. Okay. So, again, she's, you know, saying... Oh, it was vanilla, but then it got really kinky, and these are all the things that he liked. Like, he liked to hold me down. He liked to blindfold me. Yeah, just talk shit about the guy that you murdered. He often called her boy during sexual encounters and had a sexual desire to control Ezra and wanted her to act as a young boy in his own sick fantasies. This is a fucking story. So she's essentially saying, oh, yeah, I kind of identified as masculine, but he's the one that really wanted me to be a boy. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, her size alone made her a victim, as she was only 5'2 and 110 pounds at the time of the crime, and therefore she could not have felt in control when these sexual acts occurred, let alone in this car. This is all her defense. This is her defense. The prosecution maintained that it was a thought-out, premeditated plan to kill Alex, bringing the knife with her and not telling Jason of her plans to be in town as an alibi. Yeah, for sure. Furthermore, experts testified that Ezra's wounds and torn clothing were all self-inflicted. Yep. Ezra would would eventually admit to cutting herself because she was so distraught after stabbing Alex that she needed to cut herself to feel relief. In the, you're carving letters into your arm? Boy. No, that was absolutely premeditated. Yeah. Like, if you wanted to blame Alex. Sorry, so distraught that you wanted to harm yourself, you wouldn't carve a word into your body. Right. And it wouldn't be a word like boy. It might be something different if it was a word. And it was very superficial. And I'm not saying that people that don't self-harm in that manner don't create superficial yeah, ones. I'm just sure. saying that it was, it, the letters were so precise that you would have to stay still for it. You mm-hmm. couldn't, it's not something that would happen during a struggle. Yeah. And they, the wounds were not deep is what I'm saying. If you were trying to get at someone with a knife to carve something into their arms, you probably cut you them kind of deep. Yeah. So, the jury did not buy that she was, that she wasn't trying to frame Alex for his own murder. Yeah. On November 19th, 2019, Ezra McCandless was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life without, with the possibility of parole after 50 years. Mm. Ezra almost immediately cut her hair off after her conviction. She is currently housed in the Techida? 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 <laughs> Techida? To trade a correctional, correctional <laughs> institution. Jesus. <laughs> and I think it's Fond du Lac, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Hmm. Sounds so French up there. Probably mispronounced all of that. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> all. Trotita. correctional institution in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. There you go. Let us know. Email us. Yeah. And let me know if you like that accent or that voice. Whatever that is. We love, we love that old man voice. <laughs> that reminds me of when Don Sipple, the man, the 90-year-old man oh that God. was on that. Oh, my gosh, a dairy farmer. He lived his whole life on that farm. 
Good for from him. when he was a little baby. Good that was his him. parents' place. And then his daughter had a house next to him oh, and they shared a driveway and he was yes oh my gosh so, and wait he's like oh I'm, I'm don simple you know like the way he talks oh. like a little dairy farmer and then <laughs> at one point i think it's the um is it the defense attorney i think it's the defense oh no it's the prosecuting attorney he asks something to don simple and he don just he he smiles and he nods his head and he's like did you hear me, sir? And he's like, oh, no, I'm sorry. What'd you say? <laughs> just, just in his own Just world. agreeing. <laughs> it was so cute. That's cute. He's adorable. Oh, to be a 90-year-old dairy right? farmer. <laughs> but then, oh, my gosh, like, to go through that at 90. Like, yeah. this girl who's, I mean, and there's, if anybody wants to hear it, I did not include the 911 call because um, there's a lot of just, I would have to edit it down. Yeah. There's just a lot of extra, like, he's like, oh, is so-and-so working a day to the dispatcher? Oh and gosh, the dispatcher was like, that. oh, no, they're not working today. He's like, oh, okay. Like, that's a bummer. So anyway, this sweet. girl's bleeding. <laughs> front but you can tell, like, he's he's trying to find the normalcy in yeah. something at yeah, the yeah. moment because Be she calm. was very distraught. She couldn't articulate what her name was. Yeah. Bernie says she's covered in mud and blood. Her tours, bleh, clothes are completely torn. So... It's just, he's trying to help, but also, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sweet. It's funny. Ezra's conflicts within herself, considering her gender, may have affected Ezra's overall mental health. According to the Mayo Clinic, gender dysphoria might cause adolescents and adults to experience a marked difference between inner gender identity and assigned gender that lasts for at least six months, which this whole time, yeah. you know, had she identified as male using he him pronouns in high school or right out of high school that would be this entire six seven months that this yeah. occurred the difference is shown by at least two of the following a difference a difference between gender identity and genitals or secondary sex characteristics such as breast size voice and facial hair in young adolescents a difference between gender identity and anticipated secondary sex characteristics a strong desire to be rid of these genitals or secondary sex characteristics or a desire to prevent the development of secondary sex characteristics. A strong desire to have genitals and secondary sex characteristics of another gender. A strong desire to be or to be treated as another gender. And a strong belief of having the typical feelings and reactions of another gender. Gender dysphoria may also cause significant distress that affects how you function in social situations, at work or at school, or other areas of your life. Gender dysphoria might start in childhood and continue into adulthood and adolescence. I'm sorry, adolescence and adulthood. Or you might have periods in which you no longer experience gender dysphoria. You might also experience gender dysphoria around the time of puberty or much later in life. Comorbidities to gender dysphoria can include but are not limited to depression and anxiety, suicide-related events, eating disorders, and substance abuse or various addictions. Yeah. In my opinion, I feel like maybe Ezra's need for attention related to her wanting to feel attracted by her identifying gender. Mm -hmm. I feel like she maybe found a lot of gratification or satisfaction in being liked or um, attracted to while she was more masculine presenting. I think because of a lot of the men in her life being that domineering figure, she might have felt like, oh, well, I can identify as male and maybe I'll get that same gratification that they seem to have. Right. Yeah. And I, I do agree with that, too. She, she, Especially with Jason, she could not let go of Jason. It was a 13-year, 
age gap. I feel like maybe, you know, and I, I hate using this term, like, daddy issues, right? No, like, I yeah. mean, the thing is, is that there there is a missing parental link there. And I think that with Jason, he fulfilled some of those things, yep. um, being a provider to her. And like I said, I do also feel like it is linked to maybe a gender dysphoria of some kind where she felt like being representative of something more masculine or somebody more masculine and being accepted by someone that she feels like is a father figure. I feel Mm -hmm. like that was a win-win for her. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Ezra McCandless has since petitioned for a new trial, claiming that there was one very big point that she never brought up during her trial. Uh. It was a lifelong secret for her that she was the victim of sexual abuse her whole life. And the abuse had only discontinued a few months before her relationships with Alex and Jason. Hmm. She claimed that Alex's death is the result of unwanted advances, and Ezra blacked out from a PTSD episode. She has not yet named her sexual assailant. I think it's just so hard in a situation like this because, once again, like, you always want to believe somebody when they claim that they've been a victim of sexual assault. Right. You don't want to say, no, you weren't a victim of that. I mean, that never happened because Mm -hmm. then you're just, like, adding fuel to the fire. Mm Mm-hmm. However, it's hard in this situation because there's been seemingly all these instances where it's been suggested that she's been sexually assaulted and the perpetrator or evidence just doesn't line up with that being the case. Right. As far as her being sexually assaulted as a child and being raised, who knows? She's the only one that knows that. If she was, the perpetrator is the only other person that knows that, you Mm -hmm. know? But if, until she names somebody and there's someone that potentially comes forward, which who's going to admit that they did that, honestly? Yeah. Then we really just don't know. Yeah. I think that, I think you're right in that. I think that she can say that, but there would absolutely have to be some evidence that this is, this is something that is a pattern for her, that she was sexually abused as a, as a young person. And I'm, again, this is not my opinion. This yeah. is something that would only hold up in court. Yeah. Is that there's evidence that 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 had occurred and that there was continued evidence that she was assaulted by and and John might not even pertain to the story right if there's no evidence there but as far as the trial that Alex had intentions of harming Ezra and taking advantage of her sexually yeah and there were things and throughout the trial Alex Woodrow's Wood Woodruff's own words when um because he was a philosopher he wrote a lot and there were a lot of writings that they chose to dissect seemingly trying to implicate alex as being a a perverse person yeah um me personally i i had i had no biases when i began watching it because i i that was my understanding of the case before i even started researching it that she had been abused or sexually assaulted by someone throughout this case and um, I didn't really know the history of her and, and Alex, but reading back, I'm like, I really don't see that in those writings. I really yeah. don't. It's very objective, subjective, and it just, it didn't, he didn't strike me as that kind of person. He had a lot of future goals for himself, and again, not to say that people that don't have future goals for themselves can't be perpetrators of these crimes, but um, it definitely seemed like Alex fell in love with Ezra. Ezra did not love Alex. I think that she got something out of that relationship that she didn't get from Jason. And she was terrified to lose Jason more than anything. And she said, like, I'm happy to just break things off with Alex. In her mind, it might have meant, like, get rid of Alex. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that she just really... I don't know if she necessarily... Okay, so the, the again, the because <laughs> I watched the whole trial, that the prosecution said that that knife... The defense said that knife has been in her car for forever because it's a utility knife. Yeah. The prosecution said she just put that knife in her car the day before. So, you know, which is it? We don't really know. Mm-hmm. We don't really know. But um, do I think that Ezra started out the day wanting to kill Alex? I don't really know. But the fact of the matter is that it happened. It happened in a very gruesome way. And yeah. that she withheld that information. If it was self-defense... Why wouldn't she tell Don Sipple, please, I stabbed someone because, you know, or I'm trying to escape someone and they're coming mm-hmm. after me and she feigned that she didn't know where she was or what had happened and all this sort of stuff and they didn't find Alex until the next day. Who knows? It might have been, you know, she, I mean, the, the coming to town unexpectedly and having the note on her passenger seat are both red flags for me. Mm-hmm. It might have been that she was going to go and engage in sexual activity with Alex and then try to say that he assaulted her. And maybe she started, like, a physical altercation so that he Mm. would leave marks on her. And when he wasn't reciprocating, she was like, well, shit, what do I do? Yeah. I've tried to now frame him and he knows, you know. Now she puts herself in this situation where she's like, well, there's already a knife here. You know, what else am I going to... Whatever. I don't know. I I don't know what she was thinking. None of us do besides her. I think that... Me, personally, okay, like, if I was going to build this this whole day, right, I think that she lied to Jason about going to Eau Claire. I think that she knew she was going to do that. It was not an impulse thing. Yeah. I think that she went with the intention to meet up with Alex yes. at some point. I, I think that with Jason showing up at Alex's and then Ezra hearing that ringtone, she was like, oh, I have to make up a reason why i'm at alex's or whatever again i don't know why the car was idling i'm not entirely sure on that maybe she did intend to just run inside but i think the fact that like jason was there and i'm not saying this is jason's fault nothing the only person who's faulted is ezra that alex is dead but i think jason's presence there i think she realized shit like i'm not going to be able to get out of this every time i come to alex's jason's going to swing by yeah like there's no way out of this I think the reason that Alex was in the back seat is because Ezra coerced him into getting into the back seat to with have her. sex, to probably have sex, yeah. and then get his guard down and then attack him. Yeah, Ugh. and I'm, what happened in between that? I don't know. Yeah, it's just a wild story. When I said earlier that I had thought that the name sounded familiar, mm-hmm. I was thinking for some reason, which this wouldn't have made sense, but the girl in the at the Cecil Hotel that was found in the water tower wasn't her name Ezra. No, her name was uh, Elisa. Oh, okay. Elisa Lamb. That's Lam. what I was thinking, and yeah. I was like, that wouldn't make sense, because she obviously <laughs> is not a murderer. But, yeah, yeah that Elisa. was a good one, though. I've never Thanks. heard that story, and I didn't realize how recent it was yeah. either. I know sometimes we say not to say this, or not not to say this, but that sometimes we're like, oh, I hate saying, can't, like, I'm so glad that's over, and I never have to think about it again. Yeah. But, I mean, just... This is a heavy case. It is. She was so young, or is so young, I mean... She she fucked up her whole life. Yeah. I mean, she's not going to be out until she's 70. Ugh. You know? If she makes it that long, I mean, who knows? Anything can happen. I think that the moral of the story is that Jason Mangle is a hero. Yeah, no, actually, I'm really <laughs> glad that he's okay. Not that I'm happy that anyone got hurt. No, no, I, of I, course. I mean, definitely feel really, really poorly for Alex, you know? Like, that's oh, such yeah. a shitty situation. And it's really unfortunate that anybody got hurt, you know, yeah. in the situation. And Especially I don't even someone... know, like... 
mental illness wise? I mean, I know you kind of talked about gender dysphoria I think and like maybe depression. Gender you know? dysphoria. I think you maybe, uh, you know, have said in the past, uh, cer- certain onsets for personality disorders. Yeah, that's true. I think that Ezra's need and craving for attention, um, is a huge motivator and that can be a borderline yeah. personality, um, or, a, or even a dependent personality disorder. It's true. Yeah. It's a good and, point. and her need to want to be right all of the time and escape in situations where she's not right yeah instead of talking it out and like i said I, one of those comorbidities for gender dysphoria is addiction mm-hmm. and that can be a sexual addiction yeah, or attention definitely. attention d- addiction and so i i also think that maybe there's some some of that going on there for sure yeah that's just my opinion though i'm not licensed to diagnose <laughs> <laughs> well good case thank Thanks. you guys for joining us we um, profusely apologize about the, the beginning sound of quality at the beginning. We are very, <laughs> very critical of how we sound. At that point, we had already gotten like 10 minutes in and we were like, we have just got to keep going. Like, yeah. we, we need to get this done. And we hope you guys don't mind hearing that poor editing. Ugh, I feel so I know, gross about it's it. It's going to feel really <laughs> gross when it posts. I know. But you guys know that we want to bring you the content on time and the best content. And we want to make sure that we're being true to the dates that we set. So that's why we were like, you know what? I don't think they'll mind. We'll just go. It's only the first 10 minutes. So. Yeah. Y'all love us. We love you. Yes. Sometimes so. little snafus happen. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for joining us, and we will see you on Monday with another Mental Breakdown. Yes. Okay. All right. Love, Love you. you. Bye. Bye. Whether it's your favorite browser or by app, listening to audiobooks with Audiobooks Now makes it easier and more affordable to enjoy your favorite books. Audiobooks Now subscribers receive their club price plan and includes other amazing deals. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer today. Get audiobooks you love for less with audiobooks now.